0: Nick, tell him he's wrong. The answer is obvious here. Tell him he's wrong. Well, we agree. The answer is absolutely not Josh Allen, who was the least accurate quarterback in the entire league last year in 26, if you adjust for uh, his yards per attempt. However, I don't think you're going to like my answer either. I think it's Tua like two of the ceiling is high for two. I think what they're doing what they're doing down there in Miami with that coaching staff and the general manager is very important and I think gives him a good situation to succeed. And I also don't think that maybe the next guy might be Stidham. It's hard to argue against a Bill Belichick quarterback <laughs> putting Darnell <a> last <laughs> darn got
1: last. Listen, I, I'm not even sure fe- I can a continue window. What, 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 what are you guys are watching?
0: Good? I mean, what are we watching here? Have you watched Sam Darnold? Have you seen the talent? Have you seen, you know how young Sam Darnold is? Do you know that he's younger than, than, uh, than, 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 than the kid who just won the Heisman? whose name just jumped out of my head because I'm so upset. And it was the first <laughs> pick Burrow. in the draft, Joe Burrow. Sam Darnold is 22 years old. He's had mono since he came into the NFL. He's had two coaches <laughs> and two systems and no talent around him. He's got a rocket for an arm. Sam Darnold is the obvious answer to this question not
1: St. Living St. In. I
0: don't even care if you're talking ahead, over Steve. each other. That doesn't even make any difference to me because neither one of you making any sense. Go ahead, Tim, tell me why I'm right. Listen, I don't I know what world we're living in when we're using mono. Having mono is a reason of why you're the best. Like where where did that come from,
2: Greeny? Hey, he had mono. Listen, like I look at this, Sam Darnold, yes, he's young. Josh Allen's basically one year older than him. And listen, if we're talking about a three-year window, my issue with Tua is there's so much talk about him not even playing this upcoming season, basically a redshirt year. So you have two years to play and be, you know, the best quarterback in that division. I just think we've already seen it from from Josh Allen. Can he get better? Absolutely. But I just think that there's there's opportunity there and consistency there. I'm not sure Adam Gase is going to be the head coach in three years for the Jets. Hello and welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another brand new episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. And that opening sequence that you just heard right there, that was courtesy of the um, Get Up show on ESPN with uh, Mike Greenberg and company, Dominic Foxworthy and Tim Hasselbeck. And that was just kind of laughable that Dominic Foxworthy would try to say that Tua Tagovailoa a rookie quarterback who has not played a single snap in the NFL and who Tim Hasselbeck alluded to earlier is possibly going to have a sort of red shirt season in the NFL and completely sit The question posed in this segment was who is going to be the best quarterback in three years in the AFC East. Greenberg, being a Jets fan, he is partial to Sam Darnold, who, don't get me wrong, I am not sold 100% on Sam Darnold. I have said this many times previously, but with Sam Darnold... You do have a higher ceiling. Granted, Josh Allen might be the easier choice right now, but as far as a quarterback or a passer, Josh Allen is a better athlete. As a passer, he's not really there. We'll see what he can produce with Stefan Diggs. Yes, they have the better team and the better coach right now. With Sam Darnold, you have a kid that has a kid, mind you, a kid. He's younger than Joe Burrow. He's just 21, 22 years old. He is the youngest quarterback in the history of the NFL to start Okay, on opening day. So he still has a lot to learn, and he has had Todd Bowles, not a great coach, okay? And he has now had Adam Gase in two years. The Jets finished with one of the strongest records to end the season last year when he came back 6-2. and two. At the beginning of the year, yes, he he was not great because of the mono. So he has suffered some ankle issues, some mono. He has not been 100% yet. And going into now his third year, the team is really building. Makai Becton, they have added Denzel Mims, okay? They've gone out and they've added uh, Brashad Perriman and Josh Doxson, and they added Frank Gore, and they just— um. You know, they keep making moves. They retooled the entire O-line. There's going to be five, possibly five different starters on that O-line this year, completely retooled by Joe Douglas. So for Dominic Foxworthy to say, Tua and then Jared Stidham, it's just laughable. I mean, who is Dominic Foxworthy anyway? I think he played safety for the Broncos or something. Uh, Whatever. Just, fu- just funny. I thought I'd play that clip to start off the show. But we do have a lot to get into, actually. And it's funny because each week that passes, it seems like we're learning more and more about sports. NASCAR, I'm not a huge fan of it, but NASCAR is making moves. They are doing a smart thing. They are pumping out races, like, almost every single day. I think it started Sunday. Then we had races on uh, Tuesday uh, or Wednesday and Thursday. I mean, they're just really pumping out these these um. These races and and, hey, it's it's something to watch for sports and and it's been fun. So without further ado, we can jump right in and uh, we will talk real quick about the last dance. So now that it's over, because unfortunately, it is over Sunday, we saw parts nine and 10 air on ESPN. So the documentary is now officially over. For those of you like myself who were maybe born at the latter stages of Michael's career or who never even saw his career um, play out in real time and only have highlights to look back on, are you now convinced watching The Last Dance that can we put this notion to bed or this debate that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time? I don't want to hear comparisons to LeBron James, to Kobe Bryant to anybody else there was nobody like MJ he is a god amongst men he is the greatest of all time he won he went to uh he went to 6 NBA finals in 8 years He went to six NBA Finals, and he won all six of them. Nobody else can say that, okay? Not even Tom Brady, the GOAT in the NFL, went to that many championships without losing. No, Tom Brady lost three times, to the Giants twice and to the Eagles. So yes, he went there more times, and yes, he's a GOAT, but he has a a couple losses in the Super Bowl, whereas Michael Jordan can be the only one to say he went to the Finals and every single time he closed it out and he won it six titles in eight eight years, okay? Not only that, with the playoff game on the line, Jordan shot 50% from the field. 50-5-0, okay? That is a staggering number, okay? Meanwhile, guys like LeBron James, who a lot of you are quick to put up there as your top two of all time, LeBron James shoots it at 37%, and He's a guy who I always say is not clutch in crunch time. He always tries to pass or he misses that big shot or misses that big free throw. And uh, Kobe being Bryant, on the other hand, shot it at just 25%. Probably took a lot more shots, so that'll affect, you know, his percentage. But Jordan was also responsible for five go-ahead buckets in the final 10 seconds of series-clinching games. Just It's nobody like him. Kobe and LeBron done that just once combined. Okay, Jordan averaged 34.2 points per game in series clinchers. That is the best in NBA history. His nine career game-winning buzzer beaters is the most of all time. Guys, it's just simply the facts are right in front of you. If you wanted to win, you got MJ the ball, period.
1: That was uh, get the ball, Michael. Everybody get the f*** out of the way.
2: (laughs) There it is. Doug Collins coined it best. If you wanted to win, you just draw up the play, get the ball to Michael, everybody else, get out of the way, and he will win it for you. I don't know that you could say that about LeBron. Yes, you can give LeBron the ball and he could drive it on anybody and score on anybody but in those last few seconds LeBron has a tendency to choke or to pass or to kick out and it's it's quite ironic being that on this day in sports later today we'll we'll be recapping um a couple of buzzer beaters from LeBron James but you know it, everybody even blind mice finds cheese once in a while but yeah just Unreal about how good that Michael Jordan really was in his career. Nobody better, maybe in all of sports. Um, he had an NBA Finals MVP in all six series that he that he won a championship. Okay, that is the most in NBA history, and that's three more than anyone else. It also stands at the as the most Finals MVPs in all the four major sports. We're talking Major League Baseball, uh, the the National Hockey League and uh nfl so just staggering okay and we'll have a little bit more uh, on the last dance um coming up just a bit later but moving right along like i said we're gonna talk some nascar now because that's the one sport that has been pumping out races day after day week after week here as they ramp things back up okay we saw nascar's first race in 70 days After a 10-week layoff on Sunday, it was a different scene at Darlington as we there were no fans. This is going to be the new norm now, guys. And we actually saw drivers wearing face masks. I, I wish I had more on this or could get some details on why the drivers are having to wear face masks. But those cars are hot enough; they're in them for hours upon hours, and the fact that they're wearing face masks when they're not you know, they're socially distanced. They're by themselves. Even when they have the pit stops, I mean, they're in the car and the crew is working on the tires and, and fueling and things of that nature. So I don't understand why the racers are having to wear face masks. I'm sure it's got to be brutally tough for them to to deal with that heat and breathing with, with those face masks on. But uh, Jimmy Johnson, he was so close, less than a lap away from victory when his car spun out, ending his day. Kevin Har- uh, Kevin Harvick and Alex Bowman were neck and neck, but it was Harvick that ended up taking home his 50th Cup Series victory. Part of the day for me was getting out of the car and not
0: hearing anybody cheering. This is not like anything I've ever experienced, but I can tell you that it's very similar to coming back after 9-11, um, but that day had you know just 100,000 fans in the stands, and, and now you have no fans.
2: So, yeah, you know, even it's a little weird for the drivers as well, being that there's no fans and nobody there to cheer him on. NASCAR came back at it on, on Wednesday for the first time. It was the first race on a Wednesday for the first time since 1984. With 20 laps to go, Chase Elliott was tapped by Kyle Busch, and he spins out. He was extremely pissed off. He flipped him the bird as, as Kyle Busch went by because, of course, that ended Chase Elliott's day. As they clean the track off because of the debris and whatnot from the crash, it started to rain, so they ended up calling the race just a bit short. Thereby, it gives Danny Hamlin the win with Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick coming in second and third, respectively. So two races in a row, and Harvick finishes top three. That's pretty good there. And hey, it worked out a little bit for Kyle Busch as he uh, finishes second. Uh, here's Kyle Busch on exactly how this all went down and, and what exactly happened with Chase Elliott
0: made a mistake and misjudged the gap and um, sent him into the wall. And and that was entirely unintentional, but um, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely reach out to him and, um, you know, tell him, I'm sorry. Tell him I hate it that it happened and all I can do, but that that doesn't change the outcome of the night.
2: Yeah. So um, I think he might have to send Elliot a edible arrangement or something. If he wants to get back in his good graces, listen, I applaud these guys. They are racing at like 200 miles an hour. so. If this is a, a, the slightest of crashes that we're going to see is a, a little love tap of misjudging a little gap, then I commend them because we've seen a lot worse crashes and gra- these guys are at the top of their game and they have to be so locked in to judge these turns and to judge how close you are to the wall and a different racer and all that. So it's it's amazing that there's not more crashes um, than, than just something like this. So uh, yeah, so that was on Wednesday. And then yesterday, we had the Xfinity race at Darlington, and we saw Chase Briscoe secure the win, ending for him what was a gruelingly heartbreaking week. On Tuesday, he and his wife were getting a routine checkup when doctors told them that they had suffered a miscarriage, one of the worst things that any young couple could, could hear when you're pregnant. Um, this was him on, on, on the win.
0: You know, I knew Marissa was home watching. You know, Both of our families were at home. And it's feeling, you know, that weight on my shoulders of, you know, if this happens, you know, it's going to be a big thing for our family. And I'd even told Marissa, you know, Wednesday, like, you know, I'm going to win this thing for you. And, you know, I think we both kind of laughed about it, not really believing it. But, you know, I told her, you know, this could be a huge thing for us to, you know, we just experienced the lowest of lows. And this would be really, you know, high that we need right now.
2: So, yeah, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and they got a much-needed win. Granted, it's not going to make up for the fact that they lost a child, but it is going to help fill that void at least for a little while and give them some joy in such a sad time. So, congrats to Chase Briscoe on the win there. Moving right along, let's talk a little bit of golf. We had live golf on TV Sunday when Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson faced Ricky Fowler and Matt Wolf in the TaylorMade Driving Relief Fundraiser. They raised over $5 million for COVID-19 relief. In the end, it was McIlroy and DJ who won, bringing in $1.85 million for the American Nurses Foundation. Here's what Ricky Fowler had to say on the event.
0: It's just fun being out here, being able to play golf, Play with some of our, you know, close friends for a really good cause or multiple causes, um, but all kind of central around COVID relief. It's all a bonus, just being able to play golf. Uh, good heated battle. We had some fun. Enjoyed the competition. But it's we're out here because of something a lot bigger than golf.
2: So there you have that. And then don't forget, coming up on Sunday, so in a couple days this weekend, it is Memorial Day weekend, so while you're barbecuing, hopefully it's nice weather, you might want to turn on TNT and watch Phil and Tom versus Tiger and Peyton Manning in the match, too. This is going to be a rematch of sorts from last year uh, when Phil Mickelson beat uh, Tiger in the charity event for $10 million. So uh, the trash talk is basically the prize of this whole thing. That's what has been the greatest. We've gotten to see them on some uh, live video conferencing calls with the trash talk going back and forth. Well, this week, it was Phil Mickelson doing a lot more of the trash talking. Take a listen.
0: He was the one that was so insistent that we go to his home course. I beat him in Vegas, and he didn't like that. It still pisses him off. And I understand. He was insistent, despite everybody else wanting to go elsewhere that we go to his home course at the Metalist Club, which is great for Tom and I. It gives us an opportunity to give him a memory that he's not going to like every time he shows up at his home course.
2: Yeah, so it's going to be so much fun. And a little bit on the, uh, the match details or the rules here that they're going to play by. The format will consist of a front nine of best ball. The back nine will be alternating shots, and there will be a one club challenge on the fifth hole. So, if you don't know golf too well, best ball is usually what they do in, in a you know tournaments, tournament style play. So you have uh, you have Tiger and Peyton Manning and Phil and um, Tom. So if Phil Mickelson's tee shot is, you know, out of bounds or into the woods and Tom Brady hits one down the middle. They both drop from where Tom Brady's ball is and, and then you go from there on each um existing shot after that. And then the back nine will just be alternating shots. That's self-explanatory. I'm curious to know what this one-club challenge will be on the fifth hole. I also heard that maybe Charles Barkley might be making an appearance. Um, If you know anything about Charles, he has the worst golf swing in the history of the game. Although I'm told that he has been working to improve that a little bit. So we'll see. And like I said, this takes place on Sunday. You could catch it 2 p.m. on TNT. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the state of sports right now. We're starting to somewhat reopen a little bit here and there. Okay, maybe not so much in the tri-state, but elsewhere down south. Um, The state of sports right now, you have Florida and Arizona. They have opened up their doors to all major sports. And now New York, California, and Texas are following suit.
0: Also have been encouraging major sports teams to plan reopenings uh, without Fans. Also, some professional sports can return on May the 31st. That includes pro golf, auto racing, baseball, softball, tennis, football, and basketball. Sporting events, uh, pro sports uh, in that first uh, week or so of June without spectators and modifications and very uh, prescriptive conditions. Personal disclosure I want to watch the Buffalo Bills. But that is not subverting my role as governor.
2: So there you have that. That was the three governors explaining the reopening and, and the state of sports and Cuomo teasing that, you know, he's a Bills fan, which um, I don't know how I feel about that being a Jets fan. But uh, yeah. Okay, so let's move on. We're going to, you know, keep keep this ball rolling. We're going to talk some NBA, the Clippers, the Pelicans, and the Rockets have opened their facilities as of Monday. So now if you're counting, that 17 of the 30 NBA team facilities, which are now open to volunteer, uh, voluntary workouts. There is strong belief that Adam Silver, I think I read this yesterday, that he will green light a return right around June 1st with a return to basketball before the end of July. I know Spencer Dinwiddie took to so- social media yesterday to express that, that he is hearing that somewhere um, around the middle of July, the, 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 the season is going to start back up. Now, the NBA is largely considering a two-site format, those two sites being Las Vegas and Walt Disney World um, as, as serious possibilities.
0: Teams are expecting the NBA to tell them that they can start to recall their players into their cities and essentially tell them, come on back to work, guys, quarantine here, then start moving toward getting back in the gym, working out.
2: So there you have that, that age, that was Adrian Wojnarowski explaining the state of things. I also heard an interview with Jared Dudley of the Lakers saying how there's basically a three-step process. They're going to screen everybody, quarantine them. When the league does return, they're going to basically put players up in hotels and socially distance them. But, There's a misconception here. These players are going to be allowed to leave and go about their daily lives and and do whatever, go to the grocery store, what have you. But as Jared Dudley pointed out, if you then end up going out and getting the coronavirus, you will not be allowed to play. So what Jared Dudley was saying is that your superstar players like LeBron and Anthony Davis on the Lakers, if that's the case, sorry, boys. He's just being honest when he says this. You guys are the ones that are going to be quarantined and not leaving. If you need anything, we'll go get it. We'll take that risk. But you as the superstars are going to have to stay quarantined for the state of this organization. So there's a little bit of trade-off there. And hey, whatever it takes to restart this league, I'm all for it. And if the superstars have to stay quarantined so they don't get the Rona, then I'm all for that as well, as long as we can have some basketball. Okay, the Utah Jazz unfortunately announced today that longtime coach and former player Jerry Sloan died at the age of 78. We saw him at the in the last two episodes of The Last Dance because he took the Utah Jazz in back to back years out of the Western Conference to face uh, MJ and the Bulls. Sloan had Parkinson's disease and Louis body dementia. Excuse me. Here is um Jalen Rose. On the really the impact that Jerry Sloan had on the league, um, let me find it. Give me one second. I think that was the one video that I was the one clip that I was missing. I think I just figured out what I'm missing, and that was the one video from Jalen Rose. Okay, here it is. I'm going to try to bring this in, so work with me one second, guys um bring this in here I will put it right here okay here it is whoops
1: this is a tough day for the NBA family and I want to send prayers and condolences out to his family to all of the Utah Jazz supporters as somebody that's a part of the NBA family and competed so many years against Jerry Sloan's teams for anybody that know about Jerry Sloan the player they mirrored the exact man out on the floor because as a player he was really tough he was feisty he was he was um, authentic as he talked to the media as he dealt with his teams his teams were so very disciplined the wings ran hard all of the time the bigs constantly ran from the front of the rim to the front of the rim every single time they didn't take shortcuts They didn't really switch on screens. You could nail one of their guys on the screen. He expects that guy to recover and fight through because that was the type of person and the type of player that he was. And the Jazz get overlooked a lot in the history of the game. They had two of the greatest players of all time in Karl Malone and John Stockton. But we got to make sure that we acknowledge Jerry Sloan is one of the greatest coaches of all time. And he nurtured that greatness time and time again.
2: So there you have it. Absolutely spot on. Jerry Sloan, one of the best ever to coach the game. Okay, next up, there is a new report from the Brooklyn Nets that they are going to, in the offseason this summer, it was supposed to be the offseason, that they are going to go after and try to sign Bradley Beal to add him alongside Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And I just have to say, that would be absolutely insane. Oh
0: my God.
2: I mean, if you put Bradley Beal, who was averaging 30.5 points per game, second in the NBA before the lockdown, you add him alongside Kyrie and KD, not only is is Bradley Beal highly overlooked in the league, not many people even know who he is or know that he's second in, in, in scoring. Granted, no John Wall with the Wizards, and they've just been putrid all year, so he's really been their only offense. But, okay, Bradley Beal as a number two, absolutely great. You put him as a number three next to Kyrie and KD, and my goodness, this team is unstoppable. And don't just take my word for it. take, Take Stephen A's word for it.
0: Without question, to me, they're definitely contenders, and I definitely think they can make the finals in the Eastern Conference you're listening to a bradley Beal fan here i mean i'm not like some people i know i got some friends y'all in chocolate city in dc or they will remain nameless because i don't want to incriminate them publicly but they give no love and no respect to bradley Beal compared to what oh, he you deserves, need to delete and, their and they know who man. i'm talking about what what, what i am got something something's wrong with them one person in particular but she will remain nameless here's the deal okay Bradley Beal averaged 30 last year. Bradley Beal was the only thing worth watching. Even though Bradley Beal is making $28 in today's NBA market, as far as I'm concerned, he's underpaid. This dude is a big-time scorer. He's a big-time ball player. I love him. And you talk about, listen, I think he'd be a good number one. He's an elite number two, and he would be a spectacular number three. OK, because he doesn't need to dom- be ball dominant in order to score. And the thought of him and Kyrie together. Lord, Lord have mercy. You talk about box office, Jalen and Max. You talk about box office. I just start with Kyrie dancing the way that he can dance with Bradley Beal stroking the way that he can stroke with Kevin Durant doing what he's. Do. I don't want hear nothing about Milwaukee. I don't want to hear nothing about Philly. I don't want to hear, unless they get shooters, I don't want to hear it, okay? I don't believe it, not for one second in today's NBA culture. I think the Nets come out of the East. I think they'd be able to challenge for the title. I'm not saying they'd win it definitively because there's some teams in the West they'd have to contend with. But in the Eastern Conference, in today's NBA, where the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo can't bully ball the way he does in the regular season, I'm sorry, I would go... With, I would go with, if if the Nets got Bradley Beal, please.
2: Yeah, so... Like I said, don't take my word for it. Stephen A. Smith knows what is up. He knows basketball, and he knows the NBA, and he knows how good this team would be if they had Bradley Beal. Now, if you want to get into the semantics about, you know, who they would have to give up to get to get Bradley Beal, who, by the way, just before the last season, signed a two-year $72 million extension, which everybody found a little bit suspicious. So they might try to offload some of that money and try to trade him. So it is a very uh, high possibility. And he said he has sources that they don't show him any. Any Love, that team is all John Wall, and when he comes back, it's going to be John Wall, John Wall, so he doesn't get that type of respect. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie did post a confused GIF on social media yesterday when this news came out, Uh, so if you did have to make a trade, or they do make a trade for Bradley Beal, uh, I must say this, they would have to trade something significant. You're talking the core three that they would have to trade. It would be guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Levert, and Jarrett Allen. You'd have to package a deal around. I would probably say, honestly, you'd have to maybe throw in two to three of those guys. Maybe two of them uh, with some picks, future picks. Uh, I'd hate to see Karis Levert go. He is a great young player, has such superstar potential, but he scares me like Brooke Lopez used to scare me with the injuries. He's an injury away from missing a season every every time he goes out on the court. Um, Jarrett Allen, really, he's a stud defensive center, and he's got a lot to work on. But I think if the Nets made a trade for Bradley Beal, they could afford to trade Jarrett Allen for a one- to two-year period just because they have DeAndre Jordan, who, to me, is still a really dominant center. He's not going to score a lot of points, but if you feed him, he can dunk with the best of them, and he's a good defender, and he's a good rebounder, and he has really improved his foul shooting. So this news, to me, is great. I also saw news that just last month, Kyrie had, you know, his shoulder surgery, and already he's out there on the court, and he looks to be getting back into the swing of things. So, hey, I've been preparing Once the season comes back, mid to late July, whatever it is, August, don't discount the Brooklyn Nets as a playoff contender. They're sitting in seventh um, in the Eastern Conference right now. And I know it's a it's a it's a unlikely possibility and the chances are really low. But do not discount the possibility of Kyrie and KD returning and taking this Brooklyn Nets team to the promised land. This year, it was never about this year anyway with KD sitting out. But I'm telling you, this pandemic has changed things. And if they shorten the season and bring the uh, the playoff series down to about th- best of three... Oh my God, that's a game changer. That makes it that much more attainable for a team like the Brooklyn Nets, for a guy like Kevin Durant, who I'm going to say it again, was primed to return and play in the Olympics. It's no secret he was going to return in July to play in the Olympics. So why is it out of the question that he won't return to the Nets and play in the postseason? maybe they don't want to risk it maybe they wait they hold off if they figure Kyrie's not going to come back there's really not much we could do but trust me if this thing falls into place and those two come back and we have shortened series because they haven't played together really with the shortened series 3 game series 5 game series they have a good a chance as good a chance as anyone coming out of the east Okay, that was my Brooklyn Nets rant for the day. Let's move th- and swing things on over to uh, a different game, and that's the NFL. There's uh, some interesting proposals set forth this week that sort of um, had my blood boiling like never before. We all know that the NFL has in place the Rooney Rule because we have a minority coaching and uh, uh, upper management uh, you know, issue with GMs. Right, I get all that. The Rooney rule is in place so that teams are forced to interview one minority coaching candidate, which to me, I think, okay, there's a lot of minority coordinators out there, right? And they deserve head coaching jobs, no doubt. But the fact that you're going to force a team to interview someone like that, a lot of times it's exploited. They just bring a guy in just to be just to check off a box and say, all right, we interviewed him, but we have no desire to hire him. Granted, that is, uh, you know, sort of an issue with this and a loophole in in this. So they did put, put forth this proposal that, like I said, had me floored. This proposal was a new incentive that was being discussed so that if teams did hire a minority coach, they would get a higher draft pick. I mean, it's absolutely bizarre. So here was the proposal. So if you hire a minority GM, you improve your third round pick by 10 spots in the following season. If you hire a minority head coach, you improve your third round pick by six spots. A GM and head coach, you improve third round pick by 16 spots. You improve your fourth round pick by five spots entering the third season after a GM or head coach hire granted fourth round compensation pick entering the second season after a quarterback coach hire. I mean, what? So now you're telling teams to basically, you're bribing teams, go hire a minority in a GM or head coaching uh, position, and we are going to improve your third round pick by up to 10 picks. Ten spots, and oh, it's gonna to if you hire both in one year, we're going to improve it next year by sixteen picks. You're talking—that is staggering. That is absolutely staggering. So that is something that I was against, and I'm so glad they decided to table that discussion because I'm—I'm I'm a white man, so don't take my word for it. Because what do I know about minority coaches and and, and how there's a lack of them and whatnot? Take some some expert opinions on this. We're talking Hugh Jackson, a former head coach in this league. We're talking Lewis Riddick, a former executive in this league. Let's hear from those guys and see what they have to say.
0: I was surprised, but, um, you know, I get it. You know, I see what the diversity committee is trying to do to create change, and I commend them all for that. I think uh, it's just an attempt. But if we haven't found a solution, then maybe we don't fully and
1: truly understand the problem.
2: Totally correct in what he just said. And now here's what Louis Riddick had to say.
1: It's a good start right now. And I think Troy Vincent laid that out in the league office. It's a good start that now we are including more people and bringing more people into this process. Because that can only help. You just hope that eventually it leads to owners actually pulling the trigger and executing on putting these people into the positions of power so that they can prove the fact that, look, we are in fact competent and we are in fact worthy of being hired without you having to have some kind of incentive to do so. There's
2: no doubt in my mind that minority uh, men in this league are competent enough to be coaches and, and general managers. Uh, I, I, I mean, look at Herm Edwards. What he did with the New York Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs, tremendous guy, tremendous coach, well-respected, now at Arizona State, his alma mater coaching them. But just awesome guy. A guy like, you know, Todd Bowles. Granted, it didn't work out so much for the Jets, but he's a well-respected guy. He's a former uh, Super Bowl-winning safety in this league with the Redskins. Okay, he's now the defensive coordinator with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Might win a Super Bowl this year. With Tom Brady there, I mean the list goes on and on and on with the minority uh, coordinators that are in this league, and they will get they they do get their opportunities, but a lot of times it, it takes it takes longer, and, and it's a win now league, and if you don't make it in one year or two years, you you tend to get fired. So they tabled that discussion with the draft compensation, but they did amend. The Rooney rules a little bit, and I will explain that for you. So, teams will now be required to interview not one but two minority candidates from outside of the organization for a head coaching vacancy and one minority for a coordinator position. So those were the uh those are nice little amendments there. I I, I, I do commend them. They're trying, but like Hugh Jackson said, we probably don't quite fully understand it, all of this just yet and there's still you know, we still have a long way to go. Okay, Tom Brady is wasting no time getting to know his Tampa Bay Bucs teammates as he ran through a two-hour throwing session with them on Tuesday. The workouts have been going on for a couple of weeks. Somehow they've been able to keep them under the radar for the most part. He's had the playbook now for about two months, if you remember back when he walked into the wrong person's house thinking it was his offense coordinator Byron Leftwich's house looking for the playbook. Um, So. Yeah, it's Tom Brady, guys. He has six Super Bowl rings. He is the GOAT. He is a hard worker. I mean, what do you expect? Of course he is going to dive right into this. He just wants to be another one of the guys on the team. He wants to get to know his teammates, and he wants to put in the hard work. This is what the greatest of all time do. They put in the hard work. They take no days off, and they sacrifice, sacrifice, and sacrifice some more. Um, So... Tom Brady is going to do big things in his couple years that he spends in Tampa Bay. We don't know how long it's going to be. But I equate this to a LeBron James going back to Cleveland and winning them a championship. I mean, he would cement himself in Tampa lore that he would be the— God, he would be a god. They would erect statues. They would name streets after him. They would name babies after him. You name it, there would be a Tom Brady day. He would get a key from the you know the, the, the City Hall. He would be a legend in Tampa Bay if he brings them a championship because they have been such a futile organization. Yes, they won a championship when John Gruden coached them in, what, 2001, 2002. But if you look at the history of this team— Tom Brady could lose his next 283 starts and still, still have a better winning percentage than the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise. Wowzer. Wowzer, wowzer, wowzer. Okay, let's move right, moving right along. We'll talk a little bit about the Cowboys. I've got some good news for Cowboys fans, and no, it is not Dak Prescott related with his contract negotiations. Sorry, guys. There is a report though that they turned down a five-year, hundred seventy-four million-dollar offer sheet from Jerry Jones. If that's true, then let me just slap Dak on the over the face, you know, in the face some more because I, I. Called him out when he said he couldn't learn, live. His family couldn't live on what, like thirty-five or thirty mil a, a year, and that was just a disgrace that he said that. So if he, if this, if this rumor is true, then the Cowboys should just cut bait and run with Andy Dalton as their quarterback. But. Um, the Cowboy news that I'm going to talk about is defensive end Alden Smith. He was conditionally reinstated by the league. So if you guys don't know about Alden Smith, he had been serving in an, in, an indefinite suspension for violating the league's personal conduct policy uh, for, for uh, excuse me, the personal the league's personal conduct and substance abuse policies. Smith has been living in Dallas and working out in the area after he signed a one-year deal in April. Okay, he hasn't played in an NFL game since he was suspended as a member of the Raiders in 2015. I believe he was drafted by the 49ers. Okay, and just an absolute beast. I think he had an issue where he went into an airport with a gun maybe or something, said that, that he has a bomb, just some crazy stuff. You, you can't get into the mind of these guys. Um, obviously, he had issues. He last played, like I said, with the Raiders. He did speak with... In a virtual call last Thursday with Roger Goodell, and it apparently went well enough that they were able to uh, decide to reinstate him.
0: I think the Rooney rule is still effective, but as you. Uh, excuse me, wrong one. They made a compelling case that he's been sober, that the aftercare program and the structure that he needs in place to continue to living a sober life is available to him here in Dallas, and that he then was permitted to join the Cowboys and be a full participant in their offseason program beginning next Tuesday.
2: Look, five years is a long time for a a First, a person to go without playing at the top of their game, without playing in a professional game. But if Alden Smith gets his life together or has gotten his life together, this would be an amazing redemption story and an inspiration to so many because clearly this guy has not lost his drive or his will or his determination to get back into the league. You don't really fully understand what you've lost until you've lost everything. And I'm con- I- I'm s- I'm sure this man has has hit rock bottom and knows how precious everything that he lost was. So it, tr- trust me, if he is cuts away the drinking and whatever if he has mental health issues can get himself right this is gonna be a comeback story for the ages. We're talking you know, Disney movies in, in 20 years on, on this situation if he makes a good enough comeback to where he can uh, actually help this team win win games because this, a- this NFC East is always up in the air and the Cowboys always have a good chance to win it. Now you might ask, be asking yourself, well, why who uh, why has a guy like Alden Smith who is so troubled or gotten in trouble with the loss so much, been given a second chance after five years, and I'll tell you why. Because he is the only player in NFL history to have 33 half sacks in his first two years in the league. That is the most in a player's first two years in the league since the stat of sacks became an official in 1982. So that's how special a talent he is. And he's only 30 years old, so he does still have a lot left in the tank. It's just a matter of will he be able to you know not fall back into those those bad vices or those bad habits i'm looking forward to seeing him play i'm i'm hoping and rooting for him that that he could be effective and that he can redeem himself Okay, in other news, the Jets and safety Jamal Adams seem to be at an impasse regarding contract negotiations. This just seems to be going downhill. Last week, I talked about Manish Mehta leaking news about the Jets signing Logan Ryan. Well, he has still not signed with the Jets, nor has he signed anywhere. And that just seems to be uh, less and less likely that he will sign with the Jets. Okay. Getting back to this Jamal Adams uh, situation, Jamal Adams has two years left. He's under contract. It's his rookie deal. Yes, he is probably the best safety in the league. He's by far and away the best player on the New York Jets. But ever since trade rumors swirled, at the deadline when Joe Douglas sort of quote unquote shopped him, he didn't shop him. He took phone calls. It's like you're going to take a phone call if they're going to offer you, say, you know, 15 first round picks. Like you just have to listen. That's your job. You're doing your due diligence, right? I would take the call as well. I've talked about that. Well, now he wants a new contract. He thinks he's worth it. He thinks he's one of the best safeties in the league. No doubt he is. Well, naturally, Joe Douglas. Wants to take things slow. He said after the draft he was going to call his agent and they were going to talk about contract negotiations. Well, they want to take it slow. They don't feel like paying him right now because, yes, he still is under contract. Okay? Patrick Mahomes is still, I believe, under his rookie deal. All right? There's no question of his talent. And I think the Jets would be absolutely foolish if they did decide to trade him because I don't think you're going to get a great trade value like you could have gotten at the deadline. But according to Rich simini of ESPN, they have no desire to trade him. They just want to see this play out. But you could get to a point where he just decides to not show up and pull a Le'Veon Bell. And if that happens, God help the New York Jets. Because that would be bad. I'm always under the the, the guise of, listen, I know he's being a, p- a, p- a pain in the you-know-what. But he's your best player. You have to just pay him. I think eventually they will get something done, but you just never know with the New York Jets. They always, they always do something foolish a- a- and make you question why you are a fan of this organization. However, I will say a bit of breaking news that just happened less than uh, about 30 minutes ago. The New York Jets making an exceptional move. Joe Douglas gets a five-star pat on the back for this one. As the New York Jets, I've been saying all offseason, they should go out and sign this player, and they did it today. They signed New Jersey native Super Bowl MVP Joe Flacco to a one-year deal worth $1.5 million with incentives that could uh, you know, push that up to about $3 million a year absolutely ecstatic over this. Joe Flacco is the exact player that the Jets need. He is a winning quarterback. He is a Super Bowl MVP type quarterback, comes from a winning organization, and he is the leader and the the veteran presence that a guy like Sam Darnold needs to learn from. That, you know, he can, he can, he can, Sam Darnold can now learn from the tutelage of a, of a great quarterback that won a Super Bowl or has seen multiple years of success in this league. And I'm so ecstatic to see this and to see Joe Flacco help groom a Sam Darnold. I'm really looking forward to this year. So the Jets going out, getting some real key veterans like him and Frank Gore. And it makes sense because Joe Douglas in 2008 was a scout for the Baltimore Ravens when they went and selected Joe Flacco in the first round out of Delaware. So it's a great signing for the Jets and I couldn't be happier. All right, that's it for NFL talk right now. We're going to move things right along and talk quickly about the Belmont Stakes. It has been rescheduled to June 20th, so just under a month away. There will, of course, be no fans in attendance. The race will also be shortened from its usual mile and a half to a mile and an eighth. It was originally scheduled for June 6th. Um the three Triple Crown races will be run out of their traditional order now for the first time since 1931. The Belmont is usually the 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 last race in the in the three Triple Crown races. So you will have the Belmont on June 20th, the Kentucky Derby on September 5th, and the Preakness on October 3rd. They are traditionally run back-to-back-to-back, like I said, in about a six-week period in the spring each year. But obviously, with the coronavirus and COVID-19, that is not happening this year. Okay, I talked about it at the top of the hour that I would get back to the last dance and talk a little bit more about Michael Jordan because in one of those episodes, you heard Michael Jordan sound off about... about... um, Horace Grant, and he talked about how when Sam Smith came out with his book, The Jordan Rules, Horace Grant let was, you know, it was not a secret that Horace Grant and Sam Smith were good friends and are still good friends to this day. So Michael Jordan came out and said in The Last Dance that Horace Grant was the one that leaked all of that information. Well, Horace Grant was not happy with this. He responded earlier this week on the Cap & Co show on ESPN Chicago. That is a a downright, outright, completely
0: lie. Lie, lie, lie. My point is that he called, he said I was a snitch, but yet and still after 30 or 35 years, he brings up uh, one of his teammates' room, which one of his teammates' room and saying coke and weed and women. What's that got to do with anything? If you want to call somebody a snitch, that's a damn snitch right there.
2: Listen, he really doesn't answer the question on whether or not he was the one that leaked everything to Sam Smith, and it's probably because it was him. He wants to say it's a lie, but he doesn't give any proof. Sam Smith isn't going to divulge his source, so you just have to use your own imagination and your own opinion on this one. Hey, did it stop them from winning championships? No. This stuff happens. You have animosity. Hash it out, guys. It is what it is. But no love lost between the two because Horace ended up going to the Magic, and then they had beef there, and and, and so it's it, it just drags on. But yeah, those are some fighting words, and I wish we could get to the bottom of it. All right, moving along, we well, let's talk about the NCAA and if we're going to see college sports in the fall and beyond. So, they announced earlier this week that the NCAA will be allowed to resume football and men's and women's basketball starting June 1st. The on-campus activities will all be voluntary. The status of other sports will be determined at another date. And I'll tell you why that is. Because football and basketball are the big-time money makers for any school. Well, just about any school. And that's why they are going to make it a priority to get those sports back first before you're talking about, you know, ba- uh, baseball and soccer and lacrosse and swimming and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But no one really knows the details surrounding this. Will there be fans allowed um, by September when college football is supposed to start up or really the end of August? We really don't know. Per se, but here's what Jim Harbaugh, head coach at University of Michigan, had to say, as well as athletic director of Ohio State, Gene Smith.
0: If the choice were play or uh, in front of no fans or not play, then I would I would choose uh, play in front of no fans. And I think most of the, most of the darn near every guy I've talked to on our team, that's the way they feel about
1: it. But uh, we have played a little bit uh, with the social distancing concept. Um, and we know that that probably would take us down south of of 30,000 30, fans in the stands, actually closer to 20 to 22.
2: So as you can tell from both of these gentlemen, they are proceeding with the notion that there's going to be either no fans or a limited number of fans. And yeah, it sucks. Nobody wants to play without fans. But if it if it means... Playing versus not playing, of course, you're going to choose to play the games because you don't want to see a tragedy like we just saw in the spring where these seniors miss out on their senior seasons in a lot of these spring sports, and it's just devastating. So hopefully we get back to sports, especially college football it's and college basketball. I don't want to miss March Madness again next year. Please, guys. Um, you know, it, it's a great time of year. All right. Um We're just about wrapping up this show now. That's great. Okay, so. We can finally get to on this date in sports, which is what I always like to get to to wrap this show up. Okay, and I I did hint at the beginning. I talk about how LeBron is not clutch and all that, yet he hit two buzzer beaters in the playoffs, both on May 22nd, one in uh, 2009 and one in... 2013 take a listen to this
1: Lewis playing off the ball Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win yes LeBron James at the buzzer
0: gets it to James here's a three for the
2: win good it is good and LeBron James wins game two with a three at the buzzer
0: West plays the inbound. Battier gets it in. Here's James on the draw to the win. Water off on time. LeBron James taken to
1: the rim. And Miami coming away with a one-point
2: overtime victory. So there you have it. LeBron actually and that that last one, it irked me so much watching it. It was on an inbounds he pushed off a little bit um but let's be real LeBron is not a great free throw shooter in the you know in general and with pressure on the line they he ends up getting an easy layup because Paul George you know, loses his balance and then he gets past him and he's beat. You have to hammer LeBron James in that situation and force him to make both of those free throws and win the game that way because chances are he would have missed one of them, okay, and they would have went to overtime, and then who knows what happens. So I that just, that just baffled me that he let him make that layup. But again, the Pacers were the Pacers, and no matter what they did, they just couldn't beat LeBron James and those Miami Heat teams. Okay, guys, it is Memorial Day weekend coming up. Hopefully, the weather is is decent, and hopefully you can get uh, outside, do some grilling, cook up some ribs, some barbecue, uh, socially distancing, of course, with your families and whatnot, okay? Also, don't forget, this Sunday, there is going to be a two-part 30 for 30 starting at 9 p.m. Eastern, about Lance Armstrong. It should be excellent. They're going to capitalize on that Last Dance viewership, I'm sure. They also did announce that a documentary is going to be underway and will debut next year uh, following Tom Brady's illustrious career. So, hey, the more of these that they pump up, the better. Also, Peyton's Places has debuted Season 2 on ESPN+. Plus. You could catch that in all of Season 1 on ESPN+. Plus. It is $4.99 a month or, I think, $50 for the year. It's well worth it if you want all the 30 for 30s and everything else that they have to offer. But, yeah, I think that's just about going to wrap this up, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. This was Episode 96 of This Week in Sports. I am the Pody signing out.